0: Well, it's great to be with you this morning. You never know quite what to expect when you walk into a new church. We've learned that over the last year or so. Um, I never knew, for example, Philip was such a good dancer. I mean, that was just years of training and the actions. I could never get the actions in time with the words. You know, I'd always be one behind. True man, you know, you can't do two things at once. And I just couldn't do it. But Philip... It's got it down to uh, fine art there, so well done, Philip. Um, And also, I mean, there was one church we went to, uh, we were pretty shocked, actually. Uh, It was uh, about this time last year. uh, They were having a a patronal festival. Um, You you get all sorts when you go around. I mean, it's been quite a a real eye-opener for me. Um, But we were welcomed to the church, and there on the front of the orders of service, uh, printed out for everyone, was, uh, we welcome the... Archbishop of Dorking. <laughs> we have to be all things to all people for the sake of the gospel, but not that. Um, I'd like us, if we could, to put on the screen uh, a picture. Now, I wonder whether any of you were, were there at the Albert Hall um, at the beginning of uh, May. Uh, Fiona and I uh, decided we would book in to the leadership conference run by HTB. Um, and they filled the Albert Hall, and they also filled, uh, I think it was uh, Hammersmith as well. It was quite incredible, 6,000 people uh, in the Albert Hall. You can see a little, get a, a bit of a flavor of, uh, of the event. It was really about leadership. There were people from across the world. We somehow had cheap seats, I don't know, they are right at the top there, and we were sitting next to people who had come from right across uh, Europe. People were speaking all sorts of different languages. It was amazing uh, to meet people from every nation, it seemed. It was a powerful time as we worshipped together when they switched the organ on and we sang uh, All Creatures of Our God and King, and a choir appeared, it seemed to be, if you go back a bit, please, uh, to the previous slide, and we actually, a choir appeared in a balcony. It was like heaven was opening up. It was amazing. The worship was incredible. There was teaching, and we learned about what it meant to grow together. But probably, for me, the most important scene, if you like, was captured, if you go to the next slide now, uh, here. At one point, during, I think it was the second day, it was over two days, on the platform was the Archbishop of Canterbury. You can see him on the right there, having a little prayer. Also, there was the Archbishop of West... Minster, Cardinal Vincent Nichols, there was Joyce Mayer, who has an international Bible teaching ministry uh, from the U.S., and there was also, you can see him next to Justin there, um, preacher to the papal household, who was a very humble and wonderful, wise man, and of course, Nicky Gumbel, you can see him on the far right there. What a powerful picture that was. I can't remember ever seeing a platform shared by such diverse people. It wasn't just a token appearance. There was a real sense that God was doing something extraordinary to have people of such different views and churchmanships Together. What was the theme of this conference? It was unity. Unity. Two thousand years ago, in the back streets of Jerusalem, Jesus gathered with his disciples, his friends for the last meal he was going to eat with them. And John records for us in John 17 three prayers that Jesus had. He prayed, first of all, for himself. He knew the cross beckoned. He prayed for his disciples, those who were with him in the room, that God would keep them And protect them. But then, amazingly, I always think this is stunning. Amazingly, he prays for us. He prays for us. If you have a Bible near you, you might want to look it up. John 17. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, thinking of the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe. I pray also for those who will believe. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples but he prays for those who one day will believe. And that is you and me. He prays for us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What is Jesus praying for? He's praying for us, but he's praying that we would have unity. He prays on this last meal for us for our unity. Why does he do that? Well, I think first and foremost, he does this because he knows in himself that to live in love with others is at the very heart and purposes of God Himself. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. A couple of uh, Sundays ago, this has gone down a bit, but um, we were thinking about. uh, How does this go, Philip? You might want to go. Special secret. secret. Okay, thank you. We were thinking about uh, Trinity Sunday. (laughs) I don't know whether... I think you probably started your Ephesians series and you didn't explore uh, Trinity Sunday. Um, Do you ever explore Trinity Sunday? You do, of course. That's all right. Um, (laughs) Just checking. That's one of the things archdeacons do. Um, But normally you find when you go round, as I have found, that Trinity Sunday gets assigned to curates and archdeacons to preach on. uh, Because, of course, it is a bit tricky. And... uh, I was just looking up uh, the other day what it was. I can't remember where I was in church, but the different activities that children could do. And, you know, I really admire... It's Emma and and the work that you're doing here. But I wonder what they would do on Trinity Sunday with the children. So I actually went on the website, and there's there's incredible resources the other week I found of activities and games that you can play on the themes of three-in-one. Here's an example. I'll give these to Emma later. No charge, you know, I'll give them to Emma. Three and one. Divide the group into three teams. Provide each team with the same set of three items of clothing a soft hat, a jacket, and a wrap. At a given signal, one member of the team each time must put on these three items of clothing as quickly as possible. However, with each new turn, each person in the team must wear the items in a different way. How many ways can each team think up of wearing the three items as one set of clothes? Here's another example. Three people in one. Depending on the size of the group, create a human family tree. Have the children sit on the floor. Firstly, four should sit on the ground in two pairs to represent the two sets of grandparents. Now, using a piece of string, link each set of grandparents to two or three children. Now link up one child from each family group to another as husband and wife and give them three children. Create some other children from others who who marry. Use string to link these up to create a network of three generations, parents, grandparents, children, cousins, aunts, and uncles. Now challenge each of the children sitting down to describe who they are (laughs) in relation to the others in at least three different ways, e.g., I am X's son, Y's husband, and Z's father. I have about six different activities They get more and more absurd. I tell you, no wonder we get confused with the Trinity. Eugene Peterson, uh, some of you will know, he's written uh, some systematics and also translated the Bible uh, in the message. He said this about the Trinity. Trinity has suffered the indignity of being treated as a desiccated verbal artifact poked and probed by arthritic octogenarians. In reality, it is our most exuberant intellectual venture in thinking about God, as revealed variously, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is emphatically personal, God is only and exclusively God in relationship. You see, what Jesus was speaking about in this passage was the reality of living in love at the heart of the Godhead. His personal experience was that, living in love, in the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why he prayed that we would have that sense of unity. Now, turning to Paul in Ephesians. This was... Paul's experience of God, living in love and living in love in the church. Ephesians 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Can you see the Trinity echoed in Paul's understanding of church? In fact, actually, uh, scholars think this could be a song and I like to think of Paul being so excited at the reality of the presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in his experience of church that he bursts into song. These exact words, verse 4 through to verse 6, a Christian song, the song of the church, the song of one of the first churches I tried to think, do we have a song like that today and I could think of only one one body one faith, one spirit one Lord one people one nation praise ye the Lord, well done, someone else knows their old choruses (laughs) I believe that Paul burst into this kind of song, echoed the song of the church because of this God of love who had ushered in a new age of hope and forgiveness through the presence and power of the Spirit at Pentecost. This new church had come into being Paul had experienced it. The family of God for all generations. Any of you been to Ephesus, you will know that it is an extraordinary place. A few years ago I had the privilege of having a sabbatical, and uh, I, my Fiona was very kind. She let me go off on a one-way ticket to well, actually think about it. <laughs> It was a one-way ticket. I'm just thinking about it now. Um, (laughs) But... (laughs) To Turkey. And... She said, bye. Uh, And off I went for... uh, I think it was about a month. And I was backpacking around where Paul went. Just finding out where Paul went. I found myself in some very interesting places. Um, One early morning, I found myself in Ephesus. No one else was around. It was before the coaches had actually arrived. And wandered around the streets, one of the first people uh, to do so that day, imagining the saints in Ephesus that Paul is writing to, that Paul is expressing this song of unity, the song of Trinity to. There's some great houses that were being uncovered when I was there about seven years ago, um, and they were still under tarpaulins but you could go inside. They were the houses of the rich. Beautiful houses, amazing mosaics. Puts Weybridge, you know, into... uh, (laughs) Absolutely stunning, the wealth. Paul preached the gospel to them. We know that. We're told in Acts how he preached the gospel to the officials of the province, who were his friends. You head down the hill in Ephesus, you can see the library, you can see the place where the synagogue used to be. In fact, they're pretty sure, because just a week or so that, uh, before I arrived, they discovered um, a part of a menorah on that particular site. Paul went to the synagogue, spoke to the Jews, and those who sought God, who were Gentiles... Till he was chucked out. He then went to the hall of Tyrannus and spoke to more people there who came to know the Lord. These were the saints that he writes to in Ephesus. He had a new song that they could sing. A song of love. A song of for the church. One God, Father of all. No one was excluded. Everyone was needed. Everyone was included. Everyone belonged. About two weeks ago, um, Fiona and I uh, went to see Paul McCartney sing at the O2. Never been to the O2 before. Um, Quite extraordinary. Uh, And we went to see Paul McCartney because we thought, well, we may not get a chance to see him again. Uh, He's 72. Did you know that? 72. He sang 40 songs that night. It was the most amazing concert I think we have been to. One of the songs he sang, uh, and people joined in with it, like it was in a cathedral, was Eleanor Rigby. And I nearly wept when that song was sung. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. She lives in a dream, waits at the window wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for? Father Mackenzie writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Look at him working, darning his socks in the night. When there's nobody there, what does he care? Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried. Along with her name, nobody came. Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? Recent statistics have pointed out there are 7.1 million people in the UK who live alone. 10% rise in 10 years. In the States... One in three over 45 year olds identify themselves as being chronically alone. Paul's vision of church is that they belong there. Where do they all belong? They belong to God, they belong to church. going to hop back to John 17 for a moment. You see, Jesus prayed that we would be one. Just as the Father is in him, so may he be in us. His prayer is this, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. But his prayer doesn't finish at that point. He's not expressing some ideal view of church that has relationship, love, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, expressed in its very nature, a cozy club. He goes on to pray this. May they also be in us, verse 21, so that the world may believe. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you get what Jesus is saying? He is saying that the world will know the reality of the love of God in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when it sees that in the church. Wow, that's a challenge. Probably fair to say we've struggled a bit with that one over the years. When we look at the church today, I did a quick uh, Google on how many denominations there are in the church today. Anyone like to hazard a guess? 43,000 denominations, 2012. And you know, with us a bit closer to home, we have struggled with the Methodists, haven't we? You know, we should be one. We had some lovely guys from the Catholic Church come to be at our clergy triennial. It was fantastic having them there. But we didn't have communion together. Um, I was walking into church this morning, and uh, I suddenly realized that the joke I'm about to tell I'd already told here before. And Philip said, that's okay, because speakers only have three jokes anyway, so um, I'm going to tell it again. There's the old story of the Presbyterian, the Methodist, and the Anglican discussing which church that Jesus would join if he returned to earth. And the Presbyterian said, well, he'd obviously join us because our church is the nearest to the New Testament model. The Methodist said, no, 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 he'd he'd join us because of our emphasis on preaching and on fellowship. And eventually they turned to the Anglican who uh, tutor form, have been rather quiet. Um, what do you think, they, they asked him. Well, he replied, I was just wondering why I'd want to transfer his membership. <laughs> it's a challenge for us. But I want to encourage you this morning... It's just something that I have sensed in the privileged position I've had as Archdeacon over the last 18 months. I just sense the wind of the Spirit is blowing afresh and anew upon the Church of God. I've found people much more interested in a church that's alive than a particular denomination... Much more interested in being Christian. Should I say this? Is this being recorded? Will the bishop hear this? Much more interested in being a Christian than being Anglican. And much more interested in Jesus. Full stop. I said to you earlier on that uh, I've been in this diocese 20 years, I've been ordained 25 years uh, in a a few uh, weeks' time. I've never sensed what I'm sensing now. The challenges are great, but the opportunities are even greater for us to be the church that Jesus prayed for. Why? Why? that the world may be saved. That's why the prayer was so important from our Lord. So I'm going to hop back to Ephesians 4 now, and I want to really leave you with a challenge. This is what Paul says. He challenges them. The saints in Ephesus, the saints here in Claygate. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. You have been called to be this church that Jesus prayed for, for this generation. For these times, you have been called. That's why you're here this morning. If you hadn't been called, you'd be at home reading the Sunday Times now, probably into the supplements and with your second croissant and coffee. You're probably thinking, oh my goodness, why didn't we? No. (laughs) You've been called. That's why you're here. You have been called. To live lives worthy of being the church of Jesus Christ. That's your part in this picture. What does a life like that look like? Well, very, very simply, it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's what Paul says. I love the picture that I hope we're going to have on the screen now by Antonio Cesare. It's the picture of Jesus as he stands before Pilate and Pilate looks out to the crowds and he says, Behold the man. They just discussed politics, power. They discussed the nature of truth, philosophy. Jesus stands there, beaten and naked. Pilate stands there, in finery. Behold the man. Completely humble, completely gentle, completely patient, bearing in love. What does your calling look like? It looks like Jesus. I tell you all the lonely people will look to a church united in love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, look to a church that looks like Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to do this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, walk in unity together. Live a life worthy of the call of Christ. Then the world will believe.